I hope you have a copy of the scripture tonight. Does everybody have your Bible? Because I warn you, we're going to be doing lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of Bible reading tonight. Okay? So I hope you have a Bible. If you don't, on that table back there, uh, right in behind George, you'll find some Bibles back there if you need one. We're going to look tonight, Building God's House, the first part of, of this uh, subject matter, because it goes on for multiple chapters. We're now in the fifth uh, lesson or study on 1 Kings, and looking, over, looking at the overall theme in the book, the impact of leadership and spiritual life on national affairs. Now let's read chapter uh, 5 tonight, verses 1 to 18, and uh, we can read it in its entirety. When Hiram, king of Tyre, heard that Solomon had been anointed king to succeed his father David, he sent his envoys to Solomon because he had always been on friendly terms with David. Solomon sent back this message to Hiram. You know that because of the wars waged against my father David from all sides, he could not build a temple for the name of the Lord as God until the Lord put his enemies under his feet. But now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side and there is no adversary or disaster. I intend, therefore, to build a temple for the name of the Lord my God as the Lord told my father David when he said, Your son, whom I will put on the throne in your place, will build a temple for my name. So give orders that cedars of Lebanon be cut for me. My men will work with yours, and I will pay you for your men whatever wages you set. You know that we have no one so skilled in felling timber as the Sidonians. When Hiram heard Solomon's message, he was greatly pleased and said, Praise be to the Lord today, for he has given David a wise son to rule over this great nation. So Hiram sent word to Solomon, I have received the message you sent me and will do all you want in providing the cedar and juniper logs. My men will haul them down from Lebanon to the Mediterranean Sea, and I will float them as rafts by sea to the place you specify. There I will separate them, and you can take them away. And you're to grant my wish by providing food for my royal household. In this way, Hiram kept Solomon supplied with all the cedar and juniper logs he wanted. And Solomon gave Hiram 20,000 cores of wheat as food for his household, in addition to 20,000 baths of pressed olive oil. Solomon continued to do this for Hiram year after year. The Lord gave Solomon wisdom just as he had promised him. There were peaceful relations between Hiram and Solomon, and the two of them made a treaty. King Solomon conscripted laborers from all Israel, 30,000 men. Uh, he sent them off to Lebanon in shifts of 10,000 a month so that they spent one month in Lebanon and two months at home. Adoniram was in charge of the forced labor. Solomon had 70,000 carriers and 80,000 stonecutters in the hills, as well as uh, 3,300 foremen who supervised the project and directed the workers. 
At the king's command, they removed from the quarry large blocks of high-grade stone to provide a foundation of dressed stone for the temple. The craftsmen of Solomon and Hiram and workers from Biblos cut and prepared the temple, timber and stone for the building of the temple. An English member of parliament sat at his desk late one night poring over documents having to do with the slave trade. Uh, William Wilberforce was a rising star in English politics, but two years earlier he had become a dedicated follower of Christ. Uh, other followers had challenged him to look at British slavery through the lens of Christ. He knew that most of his contemporaries viewed slavery as ugly and brutal, but a necessary evil. Almost certainly, opposition to it would bring his career to a screeching halt and earn him the hostility of powerful enemies. But, as Wilberforce studied the facts in God's Word, he became convinced of God's will. On Sunday, October 28, 1787, he wrote these words in his journal, and I quote, God Almighty has set before me two great objects, the suppression of the slave trade and the reformation of manners and public morals. You know, William Wilber Wilberforce had a career, but he also had a calling. He was a politician, according to his career, uh, but he sensed, on that night especially in question that we just read about, he found his calling. And he believed that to be his God-given mission to help end slavery. Well, you know, we could say the same about Solomon. He had a career. He was a politician. He was a king. But he also sensed that he had a calling, a God-given mission. And the next few chapters are going to outline for us what that calling is. And that calling would, of course, be what? The building of the temple. Now, chapter 5 gives us the preparation for the building. And in chapter 6, we will begin to see the construction itself. The construction of the temple, by the way, is given more space in 1 Kings than any other activity that is uh, said of Solomon. Uh, in fact, there's going to be about four and a half chapters devoted to the building of the temple. And, and we're going to see four different stages to it. Uh, there's the preparation stage, the preparation for construction, uh, where he secures men and materials. Chapter 6 and 7, we'll look at the construction itself. Chapter 8, the dedication of it. And chapter 9, uh, God's affirmation of it. First thing I want you to see with me tonight is a commitment to begin great things. A commitment to begin great things. And in verse 1, we're introduced to Hiram, the king of Tyre. And he has given Solomon an official welcome and greeting as the new king. Now, does anybody remember where Tyre was? It was on the coast. It was a Phoenician city uh, out on the coast. And uh, right, right there uh, at the Mediterranean Sea. 
Now, it was important to keep Tyre in good relationships with Israel. It was, uh, it was important for both parties, but it was important for Tyre because the inland roads that led to the port city of Tyre went through Israel. Israel controlled those inland roads that would go to the port city. And then, of course, Israel needed Tyre as a port city for the shipment of materials, imports and exports. And so he sends a delegation to Solomon out of courtesy. He's welcoming uh, Solomon as David's successor. Now, this should also be interpreted as a desire on Hiram's part to continue the good relations with Solomon that Hiram had enjoyed with Solomon's father David. Verse 1 even describes that David and Hiram had been close allies and friends. Uh, you can see from 2 Samuel 5.11, it, it states there that Hiram had sent men and supplies to David and he had built a palace for David. And so this is somebody who has been a strong ally of King David and he intends to continue to be a strong ally for Solomon. Now right away Solomon responds by letting Hiram know that his father's passion will also be his passion. He was going to continue his father's work and, and build a house for God. Uh, David, Solomon's father, who was also the second king of Israel, you'll recall, had a dream. Uh, he built a place of worship for God where Jerusalem would not only be the political center of the nation, but also the spiritual center of the nation. And let's remember here the need for this that David sensed in his own heart. Remember the tabernacle had been what? A, just a portable building. And the children of Israel would have to dismantle it every time they moved and then set it back up. And it was with them throughout all their wilderness wanderings. And by David and Solomon's time, the tabernacle was something like 400 years old. So wear and tear and so forth. And also, it had been neglected to some degree. And that aroused a desire in David's heart to make things right. To put the worship of God at the center of his nation. And just like we said from the outset, the spiritual life of a nation is very important to that nation. And David understood that. Well, worthy as that desire seemed, it wasn't God's will for David to be the one to build it. In 2 Samuel 7, we see where the Lord declared his purpose. So turn in your Bibles back to 2 Kings chapter 7. Uh, and if you came in late, I told the group we're going to be doing uh, 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel 7. I told the group we'd be doing lots and lots of reading tonight. So if you need a Bible on that back table, you ought to go back there and get one. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, uh, read with me beginning in verse 1. Again, 2 Samuel chapter 7. After the king was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. 
Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. But that night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says, Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I've been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I've been with you wherever you've gone, and I've cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great like the names of the greatest men on earth, and I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me, your throne will be established forever. So David wouldn't be the one to build a house for God. In fact, it's just the other way around, right? God is going to build an everlasting house for David. Now, what's that referring to? Jesus. That the messianic line... The line for the Messiah, humanly speaking, would go through David's descendants. At the same time, God said, your son's going to be the one to build me a house. Well, in, in 1 Chronicles 22 and also 1 Chronicles 28, we see other similar accounts of what David proposed to do. And God's response to that. So find 1 Chronicles 22. First Chronicles 22. And begin reading with me in verse 7. 1 Chronicles 22, beginning in verse 7. And we'll read down through verse 19. David said to Solomon, My son, I had it in my heart to build a house for the name of the Lord my God. But this word of the Lord came to me, You have shed much blood and have fought many wars. You are not to build a house for my name because you have shed much blood on the earth in my sight. But you will have a son who will be a man of peace and rest. 
And I will give him rest from all his enemies on every side. His name will be Solomon. And I will grant Israel peace and quiet during his reign. He is the one who will build a house for my name. He will be my son and I will be his father. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. Now, my son, the Lord be with you and may you have success and build the house of the Lord your God as he said you would. May the Lord give you discretion and understanding when he puts you in command over Israel so that you may keep the law of the Lord your God. Then you will have success if you are careful to observe the decrees and laws that the Lord gave Moses for Israel. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. I have taken great pains to provide for the temple of the Lord a hundred thousand talents of gold, a million talents of silver, quantities of bronze and iron too great to be weighed, and wood and stone, and you may add to them. You have many workers, stone cutters, masons, and carpenters, as well as those skilled in every kind of work in gold and silver, bronze and iron, craftsmen beyond number. Now begin the work, and the Lord be with you. Then David ordered all the leaders of Israel to help his son Solomon. He said to them, Is not the Lord your God with you? And has he not granted you rest on every side? For he has given the inhabitants of the land into my hands, and the land is subject to the Lord and to his people. Now devote your heart and soul to seeking the Lord your God. Begin to build the sanctuary of the Lord God so that you may bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord and the sacred articles belonging to God into the temple that will be built for the name of the Lord. And then over in chapter 28, First uh, Chronicles 28. I told you we were going to be doing a lot of scripture reading tonight. First Chronicles 28, beginning in verse 1. David summoned all the officials of Israel to assemble at Jerusalem, the officers over the tribes, the commanders of the divisions in the service of the king, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, and the officials in charge of all the property and livestock belonging to the king and his sons, together with the palace officials, the warriors, and all the brave fighting men. King David rose to his feet and said, Listen to me, my fellow Israelites, my people. I had it in my heart to build a house as a place of rest for the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, for the footstool of our God, and I made plans to build it. But God said to me, You're not to build a house for my name because you are a warrior and have shed blood. Yet the Lord, the God of Israel, chose me from a whole family to be king over Israel forever. He chose Judah as leader, and from the tribe of Judah he chose my family, and from my father's sons he was pleased to make me king over all Israel. Of all my sons, and the Lord has given me many, he has chosen my son Solomon to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. He said to me, Solomon, your son is the one who will build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father." I will establish his kingdom forever if he is unswerving and carrying out my commands and laws as is being done at this time. So now I charge you in the sight of all Israel and of the assembly of the Lord and in the hearing of our God. Be careful to follow all the commands of the Lord your God that you may possess this good land and pass it on as an inheritance to your descendants forever. And you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with wholehearted devotion 
and with a willing mind, for the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and every thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house as the sanctuary. Be strong and do the work. Then David gave his son Solomon the plans for the portico of the temple, its buildings, its storerooms, its upper parts, its inner rooms, and the place of atonement. He gave him the plans of all that the Spirit had put in his mind for the courts of the temple of the Lord and all the surrounding rooms for the treasuries of the temple of God and for the treasuries of the dedicated things. He gave him instructions for the divisions of the priests and Levites and for all the work of serving in the temple of the Lord, as well as for all the articles to be used in its service. He designated the weight of gold for all the gold articles to be used in various kinds of service, and the weight of silver for all the silver articles to be used in various kinds of service, the weight of gold for the gold lampstands and their lamps, with the weight for each lampstands and its lamps, and the weight of silver for each silver lampstands and its lamps, according to the use of each lampstand. The weight of gold for each table for consecrated bread, the weight of silver for the silver tables, the weight of pure gold for the forks, sprinkling bowls and pitchers, the weight of gold for each gold dish, the weight of silver for each silver dish, the weight of the refined gold for the altar of incense. He also gave him the plan for the chariot, that is, the cherubim of gold that spread their wings and overshadow the ark of the covenant of the Lord. All this, David said, I have in writing as a result of the Lord's hand on me, and he enabled me to understand all the details of the plan. David also said to Solomon his son, Be strong and courageous and do the work. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord God, my God, is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you until all the work for the service of the temple of the Lord is finished. The divisions of the priests and Levites are ready for all the work on the temple of God, and every willing person skilled in any craft will help you in all the work. The officials and all the people will obey your every command. And so we see that this is something that David had in mind to do, and God actually revealed very specific plans to David of how to make everything. So God gave David the pattern that he was to pass along to Solomon. And then in, in chapter 29, let's just read first eight verses, we see that that uh, he's passing this along. King David said to the whole assembly, My son Solomon, the one whom God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. The task is great because this palatial structure is not for man but for the Lord God. With all my resources I have provided for the temple of my God, gold for the gold work, silver for the silver, bronze for the bronze, iron for the iron, and wood for the wood, as well as onyx for the settings, turquoise, stones of various colors, and all kinds of fine stone and marble, all of these in large quantities. Besides, in my devotion to the temple of my God, I now give my personal treasures of gold and silver for the temple of my God, over and above everything I have provided for this holy temple. 3,000 talents uh, of gold, gold of Ophir, 
and 7,000 talents of refined silver for the overlaying of the walls of the buildings for the gold work and the silver work for all the work to be done by the craftsmen. Now, who is willing to consecrate themselves to the Lord today? Then the leaders of families, the officers of the tribes of Israel, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, and the officials in charge of the king's work gave willingly. They gave toward the work on the temple of God 5,000 talents, 10,000 uh, derricks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. Anyone who had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the temple of the Lord in the custody of Jehiel the Gershonite. The people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. So David's passed the plans along, the specifics, the details, and Solomon is the one to get started on it. And this is the project that will define Solomon's early years. And so again, in his words to Hiram, we notice a commitment on Solomon's part to carry on the work. You know, I think of the words of William Carey. William Carey is known as the father of modern missions. You remember what he said on one occasion? He said, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. Now, he said those words in a sermon at a Baptist associational meeting in Northampton, England, on May the 30th, 1792. Carey used these words to urge his, his Baptist colleagues uh, to urge him on in the mission enterprise of reaching a lost world for Christ. Well, I would ask us today, are we attempting to do great things for God? and expecting great things from Him. I hope we are as the people of God. But you know, we're, everybody's so busy today with their own stuff, their own life, their own livelihood, their own homes, their, their, their own business. Are we seriously attempting to do great things for God? Has God put something on your heart to do? Well, you need to get busy and do it. You need to put your hand to the plow and with all your might, do it. Whatever God's put on your heart to do. It's not going to get done if you don't start. And notice in verse 4 that Solomon interprets the peace that God had given them as what? As the time to get started. God had given the land peace so Solomon could go ahead and get this done. That tells me if God puts on your heart something to do and God is in it, then God is going to give you what you need to get it done. Now, second thing I want you to see is the arranging of the work, beginning in verse 6, the arranging of the work. What do you do when you begin a work? You set out a plan, right? You come up with a plan. Solomon had the gold and the silver and the bronze and the iron, everything that his father David had set aside, 
that the people had set aside, but what did he not have? He didn't have the material for the structure itself. And for that structure, Solomon selected the very best wood, cedars from Lebanon, and cedars symbolize majesty and might. Cedar wood is very desirable wood. Why? It's resistant to rot. It's resistant to bugs. And it's closely grained, which means you can put a shine on it. And so it was regarded in ancient times as a premium building material. Even today, sometimes people maybe for columns in their home, columns outside, even inside, what will people do? They will choose cedars. Even farmers for their fence posts, if they want fence posts that will last, they don't have to keep replacing them, what are they going to do? Choose cedar. The logs could be cut, they could be tied together, floated down the Mediterranean Ocean, down to Joppa, where then they could be transported 35 miles eastward into Jerusalem. Now Solomon also realized that there were no skilled lumberjacks quite like the Phoenicians. The Sidonians were inhabitants of the city of Sidon, located on the Mediterranean Sea, about 22 miles north of Tyre. Now the term here probably refers in a general sense to the Phoenicians. They were known as skilled craftsmen. And so Solomon is appealing to King Hiram, recognizing that the building material in Hiram's territory is the best around, and he's also recognizing that Hiram's workers, his craftsmen, are the best around. He may not, he may not just simply be trying to flatter Hiram, but probably had that effect to some degree. In verse 7, Hiram responds by praising Israel's God for giving David such a wise son. Now, does that mean Hiram had become uh, a follower of Jehovah God himself? We're not told that. It may just be that he's recognizing Israel's God. But what we notice here, though, is that though this is a project for God, what does it require? It requires materials and human labor. Now think about today, okay? God calls us to a great work. It's God's work, but who does He use? He uses people. I mean, think about it, folks. In His church, anything you're going to do, if it's going to be a choir, what, who do you have to have? People. A children's program, a youth ministry, what do you have to have? You gotta have people. People stepping up to the plate and, and serving and giving their all to it. That's a key in anything we do for God. Sometimes I think people just think it's gonna all drop down through the, the ceiling and be done. No, it's done as people step up to the plate and volunteer. And they use their gifts and what they sense God putting on their heart to do. That's how the Lord's work is done. And, and we're not building a temple like this. It's not bricks and stones. Remember the New Testament says it's what? 
It's people. The temple in the New Testament sense is us. Followers of Christ. And God inhabits His people. We've got a great work to do, but again, God does it through us. God could do it all, but then where would we be? Folks, God has so arranged things that He uses us to do His work. I mean, I think of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Listen to what Paul says beginning in verse 5. He says, What after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder. Someone else is building on it, but each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved even though only as one escaping through the flames. Here's Paul, you know. The Corinthians, boy, they loved the silver-tongued orator that Apollos was, right? Some of them said, oh, I'm of Apollos. Others, I'm of Simon Peter. I'm of Paul. He asked in chapter 1, is Christ divided? Did Paul die for you? It, it's not about us. It's about Christ. God has given different people, different skill sets, different giftedness to use in His body, the church. He's arranged things this way for His purposes. And when we look at it this way, you know, God, God has given every believer at least one gift. He's not... His, as far as we know, indicated in Scripture, He's not given any one believer all the gifts. Signifying what? That it takes all of us working together. Everybody working together, doing their part to complete the body, which is God's temple, the church. Well, you think further about how Solomon arranged the work. In verses three to eight, uh, 13 to 18, rather, we see how he divided all the labor up. 30,000 men, he sent them to Lebanon in, in shifts of 10,000 a month so that they spent one month in Lebanon and two months at home. Just wisdom, not burning people out. Right? 
You know, in church work, they talk about the 80 20 rule. You know, 80%, I mean, 20% do all the giving. 20% do all the giving and all the work. By the way, that's changed some now. It's more like 90-10 or 95-5. 5% doing all the work. Sometimes the 5% are tired and they're waiting for the 95% to step in and, and do their part so they don't get burned out. Well, that's what Solomon's doing here. He's arranging things so they won't get burned out. But again, everybody's got a stake in it. Everybody's doing according to their giftedness. You know, I think again, in the church, how Paul says in Romans 12, Listen to what he says there in Romans 12. He says, for, the, for by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. That's how God's work gets done. And that's what He's called you to, and it's what He's called me to. Each one of us have a part in His work. God raises up leaders, gives those leaders a vision for the work to do. You know, I think of somebody in the Old Testament like a Nehemiah, the vision God gave him. The leader enlists others to help. The, the, the helpers pitch in according to, to their gifts and resources. And eventually, through this division of labor and resources, what happens? God's work gets done. Folks, what I'm saying is this, this is the pattern. You know, we know that's the pattern in the, in the New Testament, but we see in the Scripture, this, this is the pattern that goes all the way back into the Old Testament. This is the pattern God's established. Now, something really interesting here. You'll notice that in this, God used both Jews and Gentiles to build His temple. Did you notice that? Not all of them are Jews. Jews and Gentiles. Now, why is that significant? Because in Isaiah 56, 7, uh, we're told, and by the way, Jesus reiterated this when he drove the money changers out of the temple, that God's intent was that the temple would be what? A house of prayer for 
all peoples or nations. Think about that. It's to be a house of prayer for all peoples or all nations. And so going back to the beginning of it, God had Gentiles working alongside of the Jews building the temple. Foreshadowing that the promises of God to Abraham's descendants were also meant to spill over to the nations, to those who came to faith in Him. Amazing when you think about it. The foreshadowing of that that we see even here. Now, some lessons. I've given you these pretty much in full. It's for us to realize that as believers, we have a calling on our life. Folks, we aren't simply to live for the things of the world. As followers of Christ, we are to put a priority on God's purposes. Yeah, we got to live in this world. You got to support your family. You got to raise kids and grandkids. You got to do all that. You got responsibilities in the world. But your chief responsibility as a follower of Christ is to live for God's purposes. The second lesson, we're to love the things of God. <coughs> psalm 69, write that one down. It was a psalm of David, and that was a psalm that had messianic implications. In 69, nine, 69 verse 9 says, For zeal for your house has consumed me, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. You remember how that was used in the New Testament? What the disciples called him on? You remember? When Jesus cleansed the temple, remember? When Jesus cleansed the temple and drove out the money changers, it came into the disciples' minds. Psalm 69, 9. For zeal for your house has consumed me. That was a prophecy about the Messiah. And here's Jesus displaying that. Zeal for the house of the Lord. A third lesson. God's worthy of our best. God's worthy of our best. Your best energies. Your best service. Don't, don't give him the leftovers. Give him the best. And then the last lesson. Planning and preparation are a necessary part of doing God's work. Things don't just happen. People in the church have to plan it out and recruit get it done that way, right? Things don't just happen. Your Sunday school teacher that you come to class this week and you enjoy his or her lesson, guess what? They didn't get that through osmosis on their pillow the night before. 
The preacher, as he gets up to preach, it didn't just fall down the chimney ready for him to grab on his way out the door. Planning and preparation. You let people in music. Where, like Ruby, I see Ruby back there. Handbells or choir musicians. Planning. Preparations involved. And that's part of it too. Give God your best. Give God your best. Any comments or questions? I think we'll stop there tonight. Scott, uh, I don't think I've seen any word. Maybe I missed it. But uh, if this is a house of prayer for all people, how were the Gentiles handled on the temple grounds? Were they only allowed in the outer courtyard? Yes, now there was an outer court for the Gentiles, and there was an outer court, uh, um, excuse me, uh, one of the outer courts also for the women, and then for the Gentile men, and you kind of work in a place for the Jewish men, then a place for the priests, then a place for the high priests, so there were divisions. And you know, the book of Hebrews kind of zeroes in on that to point out that in Christ, he's, he's led us all through all those divisions and into the very holy of holiness. Pointing out that what we have in Christ is far greater. But yeah, they were, they were invited to the temple, but yes, you're right, there were only certain places they, they could go. Yeah, good point. Seems like a rather mundane chapter until you realize this is how God does His work through the division of labor. And it still applies today. This wasn't just for them. It's also for now. It's how God does His work. The application may be different. We don't build a temple. We're the temple. But the division of labor and people involved rising to the occasion, giving their best, still just as applicable in 2022 as it was here. One speaker suggests, and I've not, I've not tried to <coughs> fact check him. Uh, if you were to look into today's terms, the house being the temple being built over seven years, and all the workers employed, the the foreign workers, all the upkeep, 
all the daily provisions for them, all the materials. Uh, this one speaker has, it seems a little high to me, but he said in today's terms it would be approximately $139 billion. $139 billion. That's economic development. That's economic development. Yeah. That figure, like I say, it seems a little high to me, but $139 billion, not million, billion. There's a lot of gold and precious stones in it. Sure. So, I guess. Sure. Yeah. Pastor, I think about just how much our buildings have costed, like when we built the core, and we didn't even overlay the walls with gold. True. 